I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Today we're going to talk about mountains, mildew, and moral discipline. I want to give you an update first on my son and his football team and the things that he's gone through in the season. And I just want everyone to know how proud I am of this child. Oh my gosh. So he had a goal, if you follow along and you've been listening to previous episodes, of getting his weight under 140 pounds when he weighed in with his helmet and pads and cleats because he wanted to play the position of tight end, which means that he would be able to catch the ball after being thrown the ball by the quarterback and run into the end zone. Okay. So in his league, he has to be under 140 pounds for safety reasons. A lot of the children are smaller. Now, our son is tall. He's 5'6". And so it's very difficult for him at his height to lose weight, especially at his age, right? But he decided he wanted to do it. He was 143 when he weighed in the first time. And he was so bummed that he was 143 that he ended up going out on the field and bombing the game. So Jay and I had to have a conversation with him about being a good teammate and that if you weren't going to be a good teammate, that you should let the people on your team know like, hey, I'm not going to have your back. So we're going to do this trust fall and I'm just going to let you go. So you're going to get tackled, may or may not get hurt because I don't want to really play my part on the team. And so he was able to turn it around. Season ended yesterday, and we're so proud of him. He has not been doing that for the rest of the season. He really did a much better job. Not perfect, but as a parent, in general, you don't want perfection from your child. You want effort. You want to see that they're trying the best they can, and that's what he did every game. In addition to that, he went from weighing 143 pounds to 136 pounds by the end of the season. The season is six weeks long with all of his pads and gear on. So we are just so proud of this child. What you need to know, though, is key. So he sets a goal for himself. Two goals, actually. One, even though I'm not getting what I want, I need to still be a good teammate. I need to think of the people around me. I need to have empathy and understand that this world that I'm living in isn't just a world of me. Me, me, me. This is a world where there are other people relying on me, not just in football, but in everyday life, in the chores that I do, in my schoolwork, in the way that I behave when I'm in class, in the way that I behave, you know, when I'm on the field at practice, how I show up, what I bring to the table. So it's such a great life lesson for him. So anyway, we fast forward to him on the day that he weighed in. So the way it was laid out this day is that we're sitting on the sidelines of a football field and we're just sitting on the grass. We're not in a stadium at this particular game. And across the field, we can see him and his team before every game to ensure the safety of all children. Every child gets weighed with their helmet, their pads on, etc. So His team is rooting for him. They want him to run that ball. Now, bear in mind, it had been, I want to say, three or four weeks into the season now where he had been playing the position of center. Now, as a center, 
you have the ball on offense and you snap the ball, meaning you throw the ball between your legs backwards, like on behind you, excuse me, to the quarterback who catches the ball. Now he's in a, you know, it's just a rec league. So it's very casual. And the kids in the league had the kids on his team, excuse me, they had a hard time snapping the ball. So he was a really reliable center, meaning every time he snapped the ball, it went right into the hands of the quarterback, mostly every time. So he had gotten really good at this position of center. And also he was a great defenseman or a defensive lineman. (laughs) My football language is improving with every season, guys. So, And he was a really great defensive lineman and he was first string for both offense and defense. So he was able to play through the season. Now he couldn't run the ball. So he, if he was to catch the ball, for example, he would have to take a knee. Um, and that happened a couple of times and he wasn't able to do certain things, you know, defensively, but again, not hundred percent sure what that is. So the team began to rely on LJ to be the center and to be making those tackles and to get around you know, the, the man coming at him to try to get to the quarterback to block the pass if they were going to do that or just to, to um, make that tackle. So now back to the day he weighs in and he makes weight. So we're all sitting on the sideline and we can see all the kids line up and I can I watch him get on the scale, gets on the scale, gets right back off. Everyone is like looking around. I'm not sure what's happening because it's far away. So I can't hear what they're saying. He gets back on the scale and then an eruption occurs. These kids, he his face lights up and they just start jumping up and down and they're patting him on the back. And they, you know, he comes over and he's like, 136. Yes. He made weight. Now, remember, why did he do that? Why did he get outside in our yard and run our property? Why did he choose not to have a flavor ice after his horseback riding class? Why did he choose salad and salmon over chicken fingers and french fries for almost six weeks? Because he wanted to run the ball. Did he get to run the ball this season? Nope. (laughs) No, he did not get to run the ball this season. So it's game day. And he had his practicing cognitive empathy. He's practicing, you know, just being able to set and achieve a goal. He's practicing giving 100% effort. He's all these things that just kind of coming together. Obviously, he's not thinking to himself as a 12-year-old child, like, I'm practicing cognitive empathy right now. But it's just things that lessons that we're teaching him and trying to instill in him. So as the game goes on, You know, he's excited, right? He thinks he's going to run this ball. He made weight. Finally, (laughs) he goes, he comes over and he's like all excited. So he's playing. He plays center position or play after play. He's still playing center. I'm like, Jay, do you think they're going to let him run the ball? Jay's like, I don't know. I'm not the coach. We'll let the coaches do the job, you know, because I'm starting to get impatient as a mother. I want this child to run the ball. He made his goal. What is going on here? And it's just so amazing what happened that day. What happened that day is I did not speak a word about what I was thinking, which is I want my child who made his goal to run that ball and you better give my my baby a shot. I didn't say that. Instead, I was patient and I watched it play out. 
Well, Jay knew that I was a little impatient, if I'm being honest, right? But I didn't show that to him. I was very proud of him for what he had done for meeting his goal. Didn't say anything to the coaches. That child played the entire game with effort, without giving up on his teammates, not running the ball once. When he finished the game, he was more focused on the fact that he was proud of himself for meeting his goal than he was for not being able to play tight end. And you know what he said? I said, how do you feel about not being able to run the ball? You all right with that? And he said, well, yeah, my team needs a center and I have to be a good teammate. And I was blown away. And I was like, okay, well, are you going to continue on your, you know, journey, your fitness journey, your health journey? And he was like, well, yeah, I definitely, you know, I, there's always an, a chance. I'm like, okay. So he keeps, we go out to breakfast. He chooses an omelet over pancakes, things like that. Nothing too crazy here. He's a kid, so he's not dieting. He's just choosing all the foods that are healthier over, you know, unhealthy foods. So we continue on the season. Next game rolls around, makes weight again, does not run the ball. He did not get to run that ball this season at all. And he is a he is a happy child. No issues. Why? Because he understood this season. He learned the value of being part of a team. He knows he's the only child that can snap the ball reliably. And why didn't he go out and just walk on that field and not tackle when he realized he wasn't going to get what he wants? Because we taught him the value of being a teammate. We taught him that if you're not going to be a good partner, you should let that person know. Let your teammates know, look them in the eye, go around and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to tackle for you today. I'm not going to block for you today. Yeah, I don't really feel like running. So I'll just walk and you can play your heart out and I won't do that. So he learned not to do these things. He learned that he can set a goal for himself. That is, it was a self-driven goal. It would have been a lot easier for me if he ate the other way, but that's not how we do things. Easy doesn't matter. So he created a self, a goal. He, he had motivation and he made it happen and he's happy. And he says that he feels like he's in the best shape of his life, of his little 12 year old life. So why am I telling the story on a podcast for people with borderline personality disorder? Well, I just want to draw the connection for you to what it's like to step out in faith in your own ability, in your own capability to be able to have moral discipline. What did he have moral discipline to? Well, he had self-discipline. It takes self-discipline for a child his age to look at a menu in a restaurant and to choose eggs over pancakes. We can all agree on that, right? I mean, I don't know many adults that can do that, right? consistently. It takes self-discipline to do that for six weeks. It takes self-discipline when all of the children in your horseback riding class are having popsicles after class, but you go, no, thank you. I'm trying to make tight end. It takes self-discipline to go outside and run a mile for your workout so you can move more. All of those things took a lot of self-discipline for him. And there were times where he was outside by himself running the mile crying. Who can relate to that? He's in my yard running the mile and he's just upset. He's crying because he knows that he has to get through the emotional and physical pain of doing the thing that's uncomfortable to get to where he needs to go. That is self-discipline. It's hard work, effort, consistency. And when he got to his goal, 
The only thing that mattered was confidence in himself, pride in his effort and his ability. Didn't matter whether or not he made a touchdown. It mattered that he was a good person with effort who was a good teammate. So how do you build confidence? How do you build identity? That's how. What goal do you have in your recovery process? Are you taking steps to achieve that goal? Every day when you wake up, do you make the hard choice? Do you choose chicken fingers and french fries or do you choose salad? If you're a vegan, (laughs) do you choose beyond meat and fries? Or do you choose a salad? Do you choose veggies? veggies? Do you choose water? Or do you have to flavor your water with some kind of sugar? What are you choosing? Metaphors, right? So just think, what is your goal and your mission? Maybe you need to make one the way that LJ did. He made a goal to be tight end and he had steps that were concrete that he had to do to make it there. Even though he never achieved his goal, he did those steps. Took him six weeks, roundabout, to get there. So I'm asking all of you, in honor of LJ, this child that I am just so proud of, I mean, unbelievably blown away by this child. One day, if LJ ever listens to this, I want you to know I am so proud of you. Unbelievably proud. It takes guts. It takes bravery, courage, tenacity, self-discipline hard work to do what you did. And I want you and your football season this year to be an example for all of the people who listen to this podcast that you can do it. That was not easy for him. He was parented by me, guys. You know in your BPD brain, if you're a parent or if you were parented, that it is difficult to nurture yourself, let alone a child. I had to relearn how to do that. So his life hasn't been just cookie cutter easy. Now, if you saw him in his football uniform, you might prejudge that. Oh, he's like a Karen. What do you say? He's basic, right? Now, this child, he worked hard for what I'm saying about him right now. And you can too. You can too. So set a goal for yourself for the next six weeks and think of him and step out every single day to try to achieve that goal. Do whatever it takes. I know it's hard. Refuse that flavor ice. You don't need it. You need your mission because once you set that goal and you get to the end of it, you're going to feel that pride. You're going to feel that confidence. Then one of the number one questions people ask me is, can you relapse? Is there a relapse in recovery? lapses and relapse, I say, well, it depends on what kind of recovery. If the kind of recovery you're doing is like, let's say, you know, back to the football analogy and the kind of recovery that it was would be that we were like, you know what, LJ, you can take some, take some weight plates out of your, out of your pads and put a bandaid over the fact that you weigh too much. That's what they wanted him to do in the middle, beginning of the season. So he could make weight. Okay. So he does that makes weight, starts running the ball a little bit. Occasionally he's a good teammate, occasionally not. We talk to him every time he's not. No self-driven motivation. No, no, nothing that really, he's not bad, not acting out, but, you know, just mediocre, band-aids over everything. 
Maybe I had begged the coach to let him run the ball that day. Band-Aids. Band-Aids over developing moral character. Rescuing over developing moral character. Right? Then he would have had a relapse. Why? Because next season would have rolled around and he would be almost 13 years old. Still have no idea why he needs to go out on a football team and look at other people and think, I'm uncomfortable today, but I bet all these people are too. I don't feel like running sprints today, but I bet they don't either. I don't feel like cleaning up or mucking the stalls at horse class today. So I'm just going to sit down and let my partner do it all. Nope. That is recovery built on something flimsy. Solid recovery is setting a goal, achieving it, even if you don't get what you want, having pride in yourself, having moral discipline, meaning setting a moral compass and taking steps every single day to make choices to achieve your goal that align with your moral compass values. Doing the hard thing, not looking for people around you to confirm or disconfirm whether or not you are a good person. Looking inward, taking a leap, starting small. Is that something that you're willing to do? If the answer is no, and you want to, figuratively speaking, of course, you want to put band-aids over the things you're doing? Well, I'm not really a tyrant because that's a harsh word to say, Rose. How could you say that? How could you say that about people with borderline personality disorder? We're not. We're the most empathetic people who exist. Hyperbole. No, we're not. No, we're not. There are different types of empathy. You might feel like you're the most empathetic person that has ever existed. But when you're in an episode and you feel like you're going to be rejected, I want you to have that argument with me then. How are you the most empathetic person that has ever existed? Mm -hmm. Think about it. So if you keep going on in recovery, thinking these things about yourself that aren't true, that, you know, other people should bend their lives for you, that, you know, you should bring up your BPD in an argument, especially when you're losing, why well, I'm mentally ill, I have BPD, right? Or like, I can't do that. I can't make a good choice right now. Is life going to be harder for you because you have borderline personality disorder? Yeah, absolutely. But does that become the excuse for why you can't do the thing that you need to do? Did LJ say, oh, you know what, guys? Sorry, I had a rough life growing up. My mom at one point was unstable, so I can't play football for you guys today. Nah, you know what? I really, really like sugar, so I'm not going to run the ball for you guys. I know that I have, you know, like a, a long arms. I'm 5'6", and you guys are a lot smaller than me. I'm in the 99th percentile in height, and I know I can catch the ball because my arms go real high up in the air. I got some athletic ability, but you know what, guys? I, I'm out. <laughs> nah. So I want you to use, you know, a lot of people want to know who, who's my role model. How do I pick a role model? What's a role model? You know, I said Jesus. Why did I say Jesus? Doesn't matter what you believe in. It really doesn't. If you even if you say like okay I look at this as a storybook it's not true whatever you whatever you think but the story of Jesus he's still a perfect person you could find another prophet another person then 
find someone who's your role model. Or maybe this week you can use LJ. Because boy, what he did, it's huge. And myself, I mean, I, I admit that I'm blown away. Blown away. This is not the life that I thought that he was going to live. But we are doing it. And it's beautiful. And I'm, I'm crying. I'm fanning my eyes during the game. I'm just like, oh, he's doing it. You can too. Moral discipline. No more using your diagnosis as an excuse. Does it make life harder? Yes. And everybody around you knows that. But everyone around you also has all their own things that make life harder. How about... You know, during an episode where your boyfriend, husband, partner, girlfriend, whatever, where you attack them, yell at them, maybe you throw things or break things, or maybe you internalize and you just sit in the bathroom with the door locked. Maybe while you're in there, you cut yourself and you hide it until they find out. Think about that. What about them? How would they perceive that? Doesn't that mean that now they have mental illness if we... Get right down to it. Doesn't that give them PTSD? I've had multiple conversations with partners who are like, I, I'm worried that you're going to keep acting this way. It's been yesterday I had a, an individual say it's been a year. It's been one whole year that you've been acting this particular way dysfunctionally. Like, I mean, now that you've had three weeks of function, that doesn't mean that it erases that year. I need more. I need more. You know, and oftentimes our BPD brain goes, no, I can do it. You're pegging me as someone I used to be, or I have borderline personality disorder. You have to accommodate me. Never realizing like, gosh, I hurt you. I hurt you deeply to the point where now you have so much resentment within you that you have, you know, likely a diagnosis of trauma, right? Adjustment disorder, whatever diagnosis you want to slap on that there. But the bottom line is, is anytime your BPD brain starts to inch up into having an emotional episode, your partner shrinks back, your family member shrinks back. And they have a physiological reaction because they are scared. They're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. Just as scared as you are for different reasons in an episode. You might say, well, what about me? I'm scared too. What about me? I mean, <laughs> your needs get taken care of. You might not notice it and recognize it, but they do. So the other part to this episode that I wanted to talk about is how we add layers of emotion to everything. My aunt used to say that people around her make them mountains out of mildew. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. Very sweet. She meant don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Meaning if something is small, why do you have to make it bigger? So stop making mountains out of mildew. Now, I will admit this is a very difficult thing to do. Remember the time where we were getting a puppy? It was Both of our puppies are not puppies so much anymore. But I said to Jay, are you excited, Sentry? Our German Shepherd puppy is coming home. Are you so excited? And Jay goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. And I'm like, what? You don't sound excited. You don't look excited. You could never be as excited as I am. That's an example of making a mountain out of mildew. 
He was excited. He perceives the world differently than me. He processes emotions differently than me. Does it mean that he doesn't process emotions? No, he processes emotions. Absolutely, we all do. He has functional ways of doing that. He has different ways of doing that. Does it mean he wasn't excited because he couldn't match my intensity? No, not at all. But my brain with that overactive amygdala puts layers of emotion, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of emotion, literally <laughs> layer upon layer upon layer on things that don't require that kind of emotion. So when I say, have LJ be your role model, just from this football season, set a goal, take steps to achieve that goal every day for the next six weeks. What kind of emotional layers do you put on that? But he's a child, but he has you, but he has Jay. I don't have a Jay. I don't have a Rose. You guys, you know, parents like you guys, da, 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 right? Lots of overcomplicated rationalizations as to why you can't do the thing that I'm asking you to do. But what if you just kept it simple? You know what? My brain wants to go there. But that's my overactive amygdala talking. I need to enact my analytical brain. It's my cortex. Dulling down that limbic system just a smidge. I'm going to set a goal that every day for the next six weeks, I am going to walk for one hour and I'm going to take one day off a week. So five days a week, one hour walk. And I'm going to do that for six weeks. I'm going to do it in the rain, in the snow, no matter what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it when I don't feel good as long as I'm not so sick that I literally cannot move. If you have a cold, you can still walk for an hour for the next six weeks. So what does that do? Moral discipline, self-discipline, integrity, builds a lot of things. Bravery, because I know, which is why I really wanted to drive this home, that if you're listening, you don't have that kind of confidence that allows you to look at the end goal and go, yeah, I could totally walk every day, or excuse me, five, five six days a week. For one hour, there are seven days a week, so six days a week you'd want to walk for an hour. Excuse me on that one. But, you know, you'd have to you have to look at the end goal and go, yeah, absolutely, I could totally do that. I could walk six days a week for one hour, even if I had a little cold or the sniffles, even if it was snowing out, even if it's 100 degrees out. Sure. My body can withstand that. I can do it. You don't have that kind of confidence. I'm sure you'd start thinking about all the things that could go wrong, or most of them. And so that's the mountain out of mildew and try to take those layers off. So those are the things really that I wanted to talk about this week is number one, look at who's your role model. Are you listening to the moral compass, the moral, uh, that moral character work? Are you trying to do that in recovery? Or are you focused on relapse? Like BPD is some monster is going to jump on your back, eat you alive. Have you set any goals for yourself? Which of those goals have you achieved? If you're out there and you're like, yes, yes, Rose, I've done this and I feel great. Thank you for your podcast and for your encouragement. Cool. If you're out there and you're thinking, mm, what are you talking about? I can't do that. Take a leap. Don't add emotional layers onto a goal. Don't make mountains out of mildew. 
So hopefully you'll set yourself a goal for the next six weeks and, you know, send in some messages. Let us know how it's going. I'm going to continue with this idea of an overactive amygdala and making a mountain out of mildew or a molehill next episode as well when we talk about communication and how the way that you perceive the communication of your loved one becomes distorted because of this mountain mildew phenomena. But for today, I'm just so proud of my son, LJ. I want that out there for him. This podcast will become part of my legacy. So in the midst of all the dysfunction that I talk about, I'm going to talk about function. And I am so proud of you. And I'm proud of all of you. Everybody out there who's trying, who's doing the hard work, who's developing moral character in a world where moral character isn't popular. So until next week, stay tuned for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Keep hope alive, guys. You can recover. You got this. Hi, Rose. My name is Brandy Sierra, and I was born with a rare neurological condition that I advocate for called septo-optic dysplasia, optic nerve hypoplasia, with nystagmus. I know that's a lot. <laughs> um, I was only diagnosed with borderline personality disorder by one therapist back in 2017. I have been through several and all of the therapists after that basically don't believe uh, in borderline personality disorders. So your podcasts have been greatly helpful for me and therapeutic for me to listen to while I'm cleaning or just going through a hard day. Um, you keep me grounded. Um, I'm a single mom of three children and I haven't really heard a lot about I did not realize that the voice messages were only a minute long, so I'm just going to add this real quick. Um, bits and pieces of certain uh, your video. Well, all of your uh, podcasts are great. Your Instagram is great and very therapeutic for me. Um, but uh, I would like to know if you know of like any support groups with borderline personality disorder for single moms who also struggle with... Uh, emotional trauma and um, basically how to move forward and get into another relationship with somebody without feeling scared or uh, impulsiveness get to you. Uh, maybe you have some good advice for me. Um, but yeah, thank you for your podcasts and I appreciate everything. Hi, Brandy. Thank you so much for reaching out and for sending those messages. I just want to say that I'm really grateful that you would reach out and just let everybody know what it feels like to be invalidated by a clinician. Um, I also had a clinician write a review on the podcast and Apple Podcasts saying that as a therapist, it was really helpful for them to hear the podcast because then they can tell their clients the truth because they can stop walking on eggshells and they know that that's effective. And it seems like, excuse me, for that individual and some other clinicians that I spoke with that the podcast is, you know, the more that it gets pushed around different platforms and gets heard about that it's impacting clinicians. So when I heard 
you say that. And then I thought of that review. It made me really excited because I'm thinking, I mean, it's twofold. One, I want to answer your question. And two, I want you to know that it's not fair that a clinician would put their own opinions into treatment that's unethical. It's interesting because I was interviewed by someone doing a project for their master's level therapy program. And one of the questions was, what's the biggest challenge that you see face in the field? And one of the biggest challenges I see is the subjective nature all of a sudden of therapy, of counseling. It's 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 uh, troubling. Meaning if you go into the office of a clinician and you say, hey, I think I have borderline personality disorder and I also have a biological um, disorder. And I also have, uh, I'm a single mom and I have all these things happening. And I really just need you to help me figure out whether or not this is the case because I need answers. I need to move forward. And the clinician goes, well, you know what, Brandy, mm, borderline personality disorder isn't like a real thing. So you don't have to worry. Well, it's invalidating. No matter what the clinician's opinion is, their job, I would hope, is to work with you. Now, in coaching, it's different. I give my opinion a lot, right? Sure. In a therapeutic setting, when you're looking for a diagnosis, it's invalidating. It is. And, you know, even with me giving my opinion, it's you want to make sure that the subjective nature of the individual that or, of you know, just the person that you're going to see isn't clouding what they're trying to offer you. So, in other words, if you're looking for facts do I have borderline personality disorder, yes or no, then I want the answer that you're receiving to be facts, factually based, not based on opinion. And right now, the idea that borderline personality disorder doesn't exist or that CPTSD replaces that diagnosis, it's not factual. Complex post-traumatic stress disorder has an ICD-10 code, but it is not in the DSM. And let's say yet, Okay, but when that day comes, we can have a conversation about it. So Brandy, thank you so much for submitting your question. I'm able to say that if you're a therapist or a clinician out there listening to this, please remember that the people coming to see you, they need you to validate them. You don't have to look ahead into their future to question whether or not they're going to make their identity BPD. That's part of the journey they already have. They need help to separate that. Okay. Now, Brandy, moving into your other question, I I just am really grateful that you're able to find hope in the podcast. And, you know, the, I looked for you to see if there was any specific support groups for single moms who also have um, biological conditions, as well as borderline personality disorder. And I'm not seeing anything. Unfortunately, there are single mom groups, and there are borderline personality disorder groups. Um, So I do run a support group for individuals with borderline personality disorder. I'm running one now. I love it. It's really cool to be able to interact with the same group of people, excuse me, day in and day out um, through text and then once a week and just be able to touch base and really get into the nitty gritties of their lives. And I do have two individuals in the group who do have children And there are other individuals in this one particular group who do not have children. But the way that the group is structured, it allows me to work with them individually and as part of a group and kind of balance everybody's unique goals 
while supporting each other. So that is an option if you wanted to see when that comes up for you. I'm also going to be doing throughout the winter time um, groups that are one once a week with a specific topic because I know that not everyone can offer like can afford the other group because it's more intensive so I figure I would do one topic once a week I am going to do a group series on parenting this winter so hopefully that will help you Um, what I will say though just advice in general is if you are a parent with borderline personality disorder excuse me depending on how old your children are you can mirror your recovery and your parenting Children need the same thing that we need in recovery, boundaries, emotion regulation skills, hobbies, identity development, moral compass, moral character, moral discipline. I'm a big proponent of the one, two, three magic, even though it can be difficult to be consistent in that. But think about structuring your household so that you have a, uh, um, excuse me, a consistent discipline plan for your children. One, two, three. On the third one, child goes in timeout for as many minutes as their age is. And then when they come back, you move through the emotion. You keep moving past it. You don't don't kind of like uh, stay in it. So it seems callous, but it's actually a really great way for you to be able to separate when your child is acting out, if this is a concern for you, and for you both to be able to take a space, take time out, Learn that your emotions come and go. Come back together and understand that love isn't conditional and based on emotions. Love is actually unconditional. So we took our space apart. We don't really need to talk a lot about this whole thing. We're just going to move forward, right? So what does that do? Well, let's say, for example, you have a child who's like six years old and, you know, they talk back. No, 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 no. That's their behavior. Okay, well, they you say, hey, can you please put your shoes on? And they say, no. You say, that's one. Can you please put your shoes on? No, no, no. That's two. Please put your shoes on. That's three. Child gets picked up, put in a safe space where they can have time out, and they go there for six minutes. What's the point of that? Well, if you're engaging in socially inappropriate behavior, you're going to leave the space that you're in to learn that that is not appropriate, something that people with BPD as children didn't have a lot of experience in. You're not going to do it in a violent or angry or aggressive way. They're just going to go into that space. They learn that they can calm down, that rules are rules, that they're going to have to come back into the situation and do the thing that you originally asked them to do. And as a benefit, you also need those same lessons. So you take your space, you calm down for those six minutes. Then when that six, that six minute timer is up, you come back and say, hey, let's put your shoes on. Love you. Give her a hug. Move on. You teach emotion regulation. You teach boundaries. You teach rules. You teach discipline all in that tiny little package of one, two, three magic. So that's a brief synopsis of it, right? Obviously, there's it's more complicated than that. I'm sure if you're a parent, you know, but ideally you want structure. So you want to structure your day so that you know what to expect and your children know what to expect. That way you can both fall back on routine and you want to have a parenting plan that you can fall back on so that you can maintain calm and consistent emotions. Um, And you also want to make sure that whatever moral compass work you're doing, whoever you choose as your role model, then you start walking that path and then you teach those same skills to your kids 
or your children every day. So I hopefully that's helpful for you it's as a sort of brief synopsis. So parenting group, support group with me, working individually with someone who specializes in BPD, whether that be myself, Jay, as a mindset coaches, or whether that be more a clinical therapy, therapeutic setting. And, you know, really understanding that, you know, being a single mom was is just going to require more structure for you. If I could go back into single momhood, I mean, I was like flying by the seat of my pants. We don't really need to eat dinner tonight. We can have froyo. So things like that would lead to me being upset and kind of unstable, which is why today's podcast and your question meld really well together. You know, I was able to get to the point where even before, you know, Jay and I were together consistently, my husband and I now, where I was following structure and routine And I was working on having a consistent parenting plan so that way I didn't have to guess. It's hard to parent without having been nurtured. Okay, well, Brandy, hopefully that's helpful if you are looking for support and you're wanting to speak with me. You can give us a call at 844-984-7483. You can send us a text to that number. Again, it's 844-9-THRIVE. You can also email Jay at J-A-Y at SkeeterStrength.com or Rose at SkeeterStrength.com. If you want a 15-minute consultation, you'd have to email either one of us directly. We weren't able to continue to do that on the website because we are booked out. You can sign up for a a purchase a session, excuse me, on the website through me. Um, That's my schedule up there on on the website. Every Thursday night, we have a family and friends support group that occurs at 8.30 p.m. EST. Go to the website, click on support groups, and you can sign up for that. It's a $103 US dollars for a little over an hour weekly. Um, and also look forward to the winter groups. We're going to create some gift cards too. So if you want people to be able to purchase sessions for you or you want to gift sessions for other people, we're definitely going to be doing that as well. So look look forward to all of those things and we'll talk to you next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline to Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. Next time on the show, we're going to continue our eating disorder series. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So... If you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful. 
hope and help for individuals with BPD.